Good morning. I'm Caroline, and this is your weekly Sahaja Yoga meditation program. Learn more about yourself and how to meditate. See how meditation can fit in your day and how it can transform your life. Join us in our guided meditations and see for yourself how good it makes you feel. So for now, just sit down and relax for two hours of peace and spirituality. Today we have a very special program for you, a program that celebrates the commemoration of Srimadaji's 100 years. Srimadaji is a founder of Sahaja Yoga and the incredible personalities that brought on mass self-realization to the world. So to help us celebrate and understand the depths of this event, I'm inviting some of my friends from the, who live in the Blue Mountains that have meditating for many, many years. There are quite a few people here with beaming faces. And just to start, I'm going to introduce them. So, hi, Asmira. Hi. Okay, if I put the mic on, it will work better. <laughs> hi, Asmira. Hello. Okay. So, Asmira, you live in the Megalong Valley with your family. Yes. And how long you've been meditating? Oh, gosh. Be <laughs> uh-huh. prepared for that question. Yes. 42 years. And how did you start? Because uh, uh, your story is quite interesting because you were a child. Yes, um, I was seven, so I just gave away my age there. Um, and I basically I went along with my mum, who was, you know, she was quite the hippie at the time. And <laughs> she was interested in all sorts of different things and philosophies. And she would go to different lectures. And on this particular evening in 1981, I believe it was Srimadji's first visit, to Australia, um, I tagged along and, um, you know, brought, mum brought me some art things and I just sat there and Shumadji gave her talk and taught people how to meditate at the end of the talk. And um, it was a very beautiful, special evening. I did a little drawing for her, as children at that age do, and gave it to her and she gave me a kiss on the forehead. And um, there were some other children there I played with and... Yeah, I mean, this was something, you know, growing up um, that we practiced at home and um, something that, you know, into adulthood 
that sort of became my own practice as well that I now do with my children. And and being a child, you felt straight away that that was something for you? Well, you know, look, gosh, it's hard, isn't it? If At seven, it's something that's just done in the home. That's just your normal. So mm -hmm. that was my normal. And then growing up, I saw that it was not necessarily everyone else's normal. So that was challenging through the teenage years. And um, But then, you know, of course, that's something that, I guess with any sort of faith people have or practice, you know, they make it their own as they grow. And really it's a lifetime thing you know, where you, you're constantly a work in progress. And, you know, it's something that where you grow your innermost part of yourself. So it's very personal and, yeah. I'll come back to you to know more about why you kept meditating all these years. 47, did you say? 49. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> 40, oh, 40, 40, yeah, 42 years. Okay. So be prepared for yes. that question. But I'm going to introduce the other. Um, actually, we have lots of people here. I'm not going to introduce everyone, but um, just the, the presenters. So we have Ellen. Ellen is... Morning, Caroline. <laughs> Morning, Ellen. You know Ellen because Ellen, I've been in, in the program a few times. And Ellen is British, but how long have you been in Australia? Oh, since 1988. Okay, so you're more Aussie. Oh, I'm well and truly Definitely. Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ellen lives in Glenbrook with her son and her husband. Her, uh, Roger is here also today. So, Ellen, how long have you been meditating? Uh, so, I, I started meditating in 1983. I was a student at the time. And the girl that um, I was on the same course with, um, she had actually covered... She, She was a mature student, so she'd been a journalist. So during the holidays, she'd gone back to work on her paper, and they'd sent her to cover a public program of Srimataji. So when she came back after that, I thought, oh, Christine's a bit different. She's changed. She's kind of mellowed a bit. Because <laughs> she was quite a... Being a journalist before she'd come to study and being a bit mature, she had established ideas, a kind of established life. She was quite um, strong in those ideas, and, and they just seemed to have changed a little bit, and she just seemed a little bit more kind of open in a way. And so I said, oh, what have you been doing over the holidays? And she wouldn't tell me to begin with because she was having a bit of a struggle because she'd gone to cover the story, being completely sceptical, but had actually felt something. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of having a bit of an internal dialogue with herself about my journalist mind is telling me one thing about this, 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 this and this and, and meditations and this and this. But I've just actually been to a lecture where I just saw a really nice lady say some really interesting things and then give an experience at the end that I actually felt. So she was kind of keeping it to herself for a while. So I kept going with this and in the end she said oh we're, we're some people are going to come down from London on Friday night and you can come along and um, they'll show you and talk to you about it so I went along on the Friday night and um, some people had come down from London and they gave a public program and they they gave the realization experience and I remember um, so they introduced Shrimataji and then they said and we're going to listen to a talk by her and I thought wow you get to you get the hearer as well <laughs> as get the experience so that's kind of yeah how I came along 
Okay. You, you remind me of, uh, of me when I started, I think I was 22 years ago with Rodolphe, who is also here today, my husband. So we both went to a program in uh, Newtown, you know, close to Sydney. And, um, and after a couple of weeks of meditation, so we're just like two or three meditations, really, or two or three programs, we started to feel like we were laughing differently. We were just... Um, feeling like more more innocent, more joyful, more connected to people. Like there was something changing in us and we, we could see it. So it's, uh, it's definite. It, uh, that's what meditation does to you. <laughs> it is. And, and what Christine had lost, I suppose, was that slightly cynical side of things. And yeah, and she was feeling that. You could see she was enjoy, enjoying herself in herself. Just in general, she was mm. kind of a happier person yes and that kind of what made me go oh okay something is going on <laughs> i there. need to try that <laughs> yeah oh, yeah literally i want to try that whatever she's doing i want to have a go at that um so yeah it was it was uh, really nice to kind of and see then you try and you want the world to try because you're like why why would not everybody want to have the same thing yeah and and unexpectedly because also i thought you know meditation who does meditation you know i you know Especially at the time. Young, trendy students don't do meditation. Yeah, and, and, I, and I had this image of it, you know, sitting off somewhere, <laughs> chanting weird things, and which isn't at all the experience no. that I had. Especially today, everybody understands that meditation is actually needed in everybody's life. So we also have Lena. Hi, Lena. Hi, Caroline. So Lena lives uh, most of the week in Katumba, isn't it? And I live with Guy, her husband, in, um, and she's a music therapist. So, Alina, uh, how did you start meditation? Yes, well, um, a long time ago when I was a university student in 1987, I, I had a friend from school who turned out also to rock up to my first day at university. And um, we went, after a few months, we went to see her a very um, ordinary movie but after the movie we started chatting we had a coffee and started talking things spiritual and once we started talking about spiritual things I just felt I want to hear more I want to hear more from this person about this I'm really interested in this I'd spent a gap year traveling I guess I was seeking you know my meaning in life um, and after some months you know I knew that he was med going to this meditation group and he was very cautious that he didn't want to push me into something that I may not be wanting to do and I was the whole time thinking I hope he invites me one day <laughs> and um, after some time Shumataji was actually going to visit Australia um, and I was you know saying I'm going to spend quite a bit of time with my friends over that period and yes I understand that and and he was too shy to really invite me but in the end I think he just got his courage up and said do you want to come to my friend's house and, and try the meditation Um, and I, of course, jumped to the chance and um, came to their house and um, had, a, had a really profound experience. Um, I remember it was winter. I was all rugged up. I was sitting with a shawl wrapped around me, but I could feel this cool breeze around my arms and my hands. And I'm like, there's no window open in here, but there's, there's a cool breeze in this, in this room. And um, did the meditation and... Um, felt this really surging energy inside me, the kundalini rising inside me. I could really feel it pushing upwards. Um, and it was a really profound experience that I, you know, nothing like anything I'd ever experienced before. And that was really when I thought, I need to learn more about this because 
this is extraordinary. So yes. we'll get back to what the Kundalini is as well. Before, I just want to introduce Steve. And apologies, Steve, I can't see you because you're behind the screen. <laughs> this is a very small studio and lots of us here. So hi, Steve. Steve is uh, living in Wenwestfall with uh, Katya, who is here as well, his wife, and a son and daughter. And he's a builder. Hi, Steve. Hi, Caroline. How are you going? <laughs> Good. So how did you start um, meditation? Um, I started at the Woodford Folk Festival in Queensland. I met the people who were practicing Saja Yoga there and they, they had like a, a tent and I was just strolling through the festival and they dragged me in and taught me to meditate and it kind of went from there. It was it was quite a... Um, I'd always tried to meditate in the past and been quite extreme about it, going off to sort of monasteries and retreats and taking off into the bush by myself for weeks at a time to try and attain those states of consciousness and it was quite actually quite not a good way to live because it was so disruptive to sort of having a normal social life and friends and things like that but they just showed me very simple ways to attain the states that I was sort of striving for and because it was so easy and clear what I had to do to attain those states I, I could give up doing all those extreme things that I'd had to do in the past, which was um, quite a relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine. It's quite interesting because you're in a festival, so I imagine it's very noisy around and lots of things going on. And But you you did feel that your Kundalini came up. You did feel yeah, the connection. Yeah, it, it was quite an amazing experience. It felt, it felt like the... Um, the world kind of opened up like a flower to me. It was it was quite profound, and I can remember being with um, all the hippies and playing. You know, they all play the drums together and get into these mass drum sort of ceremony things, and walking out of the tent and just being in such a deep state of connection to everything around me, and these hippies kind of looking up at me like just wondering what was happening to me <laughs> and going back into the tent and they're all sort of a, a little bit in awe of what like they could see something had happened to me and they and they had this kind of awe in their eyes like they're all a bit um almost afraid of me or something <laughs> like that this guy has got something now and because the the hippie thing is very can be very superficial like everyone sort of pretends that they've um in contact with some deeper meaning of the world but no one really is but you kind of occasionally get it mm -hmm. in those circles but it but no one really knows how to maintain that connection or that depth of experience but what Sahaja Yoga gave me was very very simple techniques and very clear instructions on how to keep my system clear and balanced so I can maintain that connection to the divine and to to the source of all things so we've been talking about the kundalini a lot so can um, one of you tell me what what the kundalini is should i name someone or <laughs> it's been called many things um could start with just anywhere jump in um chi it's um like known as the tree of life um if we imagine Our body is like the tree of life. It's the sap of the tree of life that goes up our spinal cord. Kundala means coils. So it's a coiled energy in the sacrum bone of the body. So the ancients must have known it was sacred. 
and it when it's awakened it rises up through the spine and out through the top of the head in out of the fontanelle bone meaning fountain so like a fountain it comes out and it's it's a beautiful gentle nourishing life-giving energy um, that integrates our being our physical mental emotional and spiritual being and um, it's normally a dormant energy um, that is sleeping like you know the the uh, primule in a seed so when a seed awakens the shell of the seed opens out and this new living thing comes out of it so like that our spiritual life begins when our kundalini is awakened and it's it's unconsciously represented in many especially traditional cultures like in celtic the old spirals it's the kundalini this idea of the mother earth the gaia the living breathing mother earth again because it's a mothering energy and nurturing energy so many of the traditional cultures um, you know way way back in a in kind of our unconscious it's come out in many different ways just we haven't kind of known exactly what it is and how it works and how to unlock it um, until now and i just wanted to confirm that we all have it no matter what we've done in the past no matter what we feel like we all have a kundalini dormant in our sacrum bone and i'm just saying that because i remember the first time i heard about it i said what do i need to do to get one (laughs) (laughs) i want it give it to me so yes, we all have a Kundalini. And Lena, what, what does it mean to get your self-realization? So yes, I just wanted, before I answer yes, your question, please. to um, say that it's a Sanskrit word. It's a word that if you Googled it, you will find lots of information on it. It's not something new. It's something very ancient. As you, mean kund- you mean Kundalini, right? Kundalini. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And any Sanskrit word that ends on an I is a feminine form. So it's very important to note that it's, as Helen said, it's a, it's a mothering energy. It's a nurturing energy. It's a very gentle mothering energy. Um, and... Um, yeah, how do we do that? Yeah. How do we wait, awaken it? Um, it requires, well, it, it has happened spontaneously throughout history. I think some people have had that experience, a really sort of transcendent experience uh, where they suddenly feel connected with the whole. Carl Jung talked about the collective consciousness, which is something that happens once this energy is awakened in you, you start to feel connected to to the whole um so it really requires someone with mastery of of the kundalini and 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 very um deep knowledge of it to be a catalyst really to be a catalyst to uh, encourage this energy to awaken um and shumataji has that that power and and um started off with i think seven hippies in london and uh started waking up their kundalinis and then they can then in turn pass it on so it's a thing that can be passed on like one candle lighting another and that's what we are doing right now we can even do that through the ether through the radio wave everybody can get their self-realization can get the awakening of their kundalini so we're, we're speaking about shimadaji now is perfectly now so why is uh, shimadaji so significant in our life it's a hard question and i'm not going to point at anyone <laughs> <laughs> whoever wants to grab it. And who is Shrimadaji? Maybe we could also ask. Um, so 
I've got a book here, actually, that was called My Memoirs, written by Shumatiji's brother, her younger brother. So Shumatiji was actually born into a Christian family in India. Her mother was a, a great mathematician. Her father was a lawyer, a public prosecutor who worked for the British, because this was at the time when the British were still ruling. Um, it was actually a, what we have modern day, a blended family. Her father was a widower and already had, I think, five children. Um, remarried again to her mother because he needed someone to look after the five children. And then they together they had, I think, about six children. So um, it was a very large extended family that Sri Mataji grew up in. Both her parents were very active in the um, Quit India movement. Um, they worked alongside Gandhi. Um, they had very, very strong nationalistic feelings and very, very strong ideas about about freedom and that the, you know that the British shouldn't be there, that India should be able to rule itself, and were very active in that. Shumataji herself was very active also. Um, she met Gandhi and um, visited his ashram many times. And um, she was studying, so she was studying medicine um, during this time, the early 40s. And um, she used to um, head up like an underground movement that would distribute posters and organise marches and protests against um, the British rule. Her parents went to prison uh, on numerous occasions um, because they protested um, for what they did. Um, she was arrested by the English at uh, some point and had to leave her medical studies for a, a while while she was detained. Um, she wanted to study medicine at the time, she said, because in India um, so many of the rural area needed um, good doctors. She was very, even from an early age, from what her brother says, very compassionate, very had a lot of empathy, um, very very spiritual, even then liked to meditate, um, was very akin to kind of animals and, and people who um, suffered and weren't in very good positions. Um, and so although she studied medicine, this actually was a really great way of her learning to make that connection between the physical body and the spiritual body that we've been talking about with the, the Kundalini and these energy centers so that this connection, people could have it en masse. So later on in her life, um, she devoted her time to giving this experience to people. Which is a, a huge difference because people, like you mentioned, I think Zelina mentioned that that people used to have their realization after doing a lot of tapas, yes, lots of hardship and living alone in the Himalayas and meditating for 20 years, sometime on, on their head or doing really difficult things like this. That's what Steve I was, was trying say, to sounds do. Like the path, <laughs> sounds like the path Steve was on. In fact, just listening to everybody give their account of how they came across Sajoga. It's so interesting. It's really interesting. <laughs> Everybody came at it from a different angle, mm. angle, a different perspective, a different understanding of it. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit intimidated that everyone else has said they had an amazing I didn't. experience. <laughs> I didn't either. Um, no, I didn't. My heart went, yep, yeah, this is it. Great, you found it. Exactly. My head was going, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. What do you mean I found it? I don't know what I found. Was I even looking? Um, and that was kind of going on with me for a couple of months. 
before I really <laughs> felt anything on my hands. I'm so glad you're saying that, Helen, because I felt the same. I felt like, oh, those, they have those, this encounter of amazing raising of the Kundalini. And I did feel good. I did feel good, but I can't say I felt extraordinary. I didn't feel the coolness. But what I felt is I want to be like these people. It was those people doing the program in in Newtown. And um, they were just so normal, so loving from the heart, but not not like uh, over, top, over the top. They were just very normal, but I felt the strength and I felt the sincerity. And I remember saying to one of them, it was David Morgan, actually, I don't know if he's listening. I said to him, I I want to be like you. I can feel that you're true. I want to be like you. So that's that's why it motivated me and, and kept going with meditation. So um, as you can feel from the answers from our guests today, many people in the world have a deep respect and devotion for Shimadaji because they recognize this very unique love emanating from her, a love that acts, a love that transforms people. In order to achieve peace in the world, we must reach peace within. And the practical and simple solution that Shimadaji offers is self-realization. So during this two-hour program, we'll discuss more about this amazing personality of Shumalaji and why meditation is so important in our lives. We will also experience a couple of guided meditations to help us achieve thoughtless awareness. And finally, we will play some live music, which I'm really looking forward to. I, I don't know how good it's going to be because we haven't tested the mics yet, but hopefully it will work well. So for now, I'm just going to play Benedictus, which is a piece from Carl Jenkins, one of the most performed living composers.
You are listening to the Sahaja Yoga Meditation Program. And we are here today to discuss the Kundalini, actually, because um, uh, Asmira and Lina had something to add to our conversation before. Asmira, what did you want to tell us? Well, just something I remember Sri Mataji saying in a lot of her talks was that if you, the analogy of the Kundalini being like a rope, and when it rises, sometimes only one strand of that rope might rise. So that might explain the different experiences people have. You know, in any given moment, our the state of our being is more open or less open, depending on our stress, perhaps. And so maybe only one strand can make it through all the different energy centers. But we'll still have, with that one little strand, we'll still feel good and peaceful. Some people might, in a given moment, um, be more clear and open and have more strands um, come up, and so their experience will be more noticeable, and um, and you know so on. So people have different experiences based on the state of their being in any given moment. Beautiful. I'm glad you added that. And Lina, you wanted to add something about the Agya Chakra. Yes. So if you think of the Kundalini as a tread threads or strands um, we also have in our subtle body uh, energy centers or chakras which I'm sure some listeners have heard about before Um, and if you think that as this kundalini rises upwards it it does rise in an upwards motion it can thread all those energy centers together into balance as it as it rises Um, and what's I think important to note is that once this uh, kundalini energy passes through the the Agya Chakra, which is the third eye at the front of our, our head, um, once it passes through there, it brings our superego and our ego into balance and actually reduces our thinking. And that's when we actually go into a state of thoughtless awareness. So I know lots of people say, I find it so hard to meditate because I can't stop thinking. And the amazing thing is that the Kundalini does this work for us by by coming through this center and then all the thoughts quite automatically recede if we just allow allow that uh, experience to happen um, and that's how we attain this beautiful thoughtless state where we are we're fully aware but we don't have all these niggling thoughts disturbing our meditation thank you lena so with the awakening of our kundalini energy we have the tools to choose the right path in life and stick to it we can look inside ourselves become our own master and choose to evolve As a gift to humanity, self-realization is there if we want it. So if you're interested or just curious, now is the right time to try. We're going to take you through a guided meditation that will help us reach a state of thoughtless awareness that Lina just mentioned and achieve our self-realization. So it's very simple and spontaneous and it will take about 15 minutes. (laughs) I don't know if we can put a time on it, but... So the first thing you need to do is to pause what you're currently doing. I'm just going to play a bit of music background. And if you could remove your shoes, that would be really good. As a connection with the Mother Earth helps us to relax and just to be connected. If you're wearing glasses, you can remove them as well. And of course, sit down comfortably. If sitting cross-legged on the floor is comfortable, go for it. 
or you could be sitting on a sofa, on a chair. Put both of your hands on your lap with the palm facing upward. And breathe deeply and peacefully. So Shimadaji gave many, many self-realization en masse all over the world from the 70s. And today we are going to play a recording of one of those. So just relax and listen and follow the process. Straight like this, simple hands like this and close your eyes. And please don't open your eyes till I tell you. Before doing that, I hope you take out your shoes because the Mother Earth helps us a lot. Forget your past. To forgive yourself, you should be pleasantly placed towards yourself. Pleasantly placed towards yourself. And second one is that you have to forgive everyone. <clears throat> As I told you yesterday, whether you forgive or don't forgive, you don't do anything. Actually, if you don't forgive, then you play into wrong hands. So just neglect it completely. Don't worry about it. And in general, you should say, I forgive everyone. Just say, in general, I forgive everyone. That's all. Not to count how many people you have to forgive, not to know about everyone, what they have said to you, but just forgive in general, that's all. So the first one is to forget your past. That means not to feel guilty at all. You are not to feel guilty. After all, you are a human being, and human beings can only commit mistakes. You are not gods. So what does it matter? This nothing to bother you on that point, should not. So please forgive yourself and forgive others, that's very important. These are the two simple conditions, but mentally you should accept them. Now <clears throat> we have to put both our feet little away from each other because you know there are two powers within us, left and right. And we use our left hand symbolically to suggest that we want our Self-realization as this is the power of desire, not of pure desire but desire. And we use our right hand which is the power of action to nourish our centers on the left hand side. We'll be nourishing our left hand centers only. Now please put your left hand towards me. <coughs> and right hand on your heart. Now close your eyes. Please don't open them till I tell you. 
here you have to ask me a question, a very important question. You can call me mother or you can call me Shri Mataji, whatever you like. Very important question. Ask a question three times in your heart, not loudly please. Mother, am I the spirit? Mother, am I the spirit? Ask this question three times. <clears throat> if you are the spirit, you are your own guide. You are your own master. So now please bring down your hand, right hand, in the upper portion of your abdomen, on the left hand side, press it hard. And here ask another question three times. Mother, am I my own master? Ask this question three times. Mother, am I my own master? As I told you, I respect your freedom and you have a free will and I cannot force pure knowledge on you. It cannot be. You have to ask for it. So now take your right hand in the lower portion of your abdomen, on the left hand side and ask me, Mother, Please give me pure knowledge. Six times because this center has got six petals. <coughs> Mother, please give me pure knowledge. As soon as you ask this question, the Kudalini starts moving upward. So now we have to nourish the upper centers to make its movement, her movement, faster. So <coughs> please raise your right hand in the upper portion of your abdomen on the left hand side, press it hard and here you say with full confidence, with full confidence you say, Mother, I am my own master. Please say it ten times. Mother, I am my own master. These things remove your conditionings from wrong teachings. Now you raise your hand to the most important question. That is, 
you are not your body, you are not your intelligence, you are not your emotions, you are not your conditionings, your ego, your thoughts, but you are pure spirit. So raise your right hand on to your heart and say with full confidence twelve times, full confidence please, Mother, I am the Spirit. Just say that. Mother, I am the Spirit. Please say twelve times. <coughs> Now, raise your right hand to another very important area within us where by feeling guilty all the time we have harmed a very important center. I have to tell you that the divine power is the ocean of knowledge and love. It is the ocean of bliss and joy. But above all, above all, it is the ocean of forgiveness. And whatever mistakes or wrongs you have done are dissolved by the power of forgiveness. So raise your right hand into the corner of your neck and your shoulder and turn your head to your right. Here you have to say with full confidence sixteen times, Mother, I am not guilty at all. Again you say, Mother, I am not guilty at all. Sixteen times. I have already told you whether you forgive others or not, you are not doing anything, it is a myth. But if you don't forgive others, then you <coughs> fall into the wrong hands and torture yourself for nothing. So now, please raise your right hand onto your forehead across, press it hard on both the sides and put down your head as far as possible, resting on your hand and press it on both the sides. This is the center where you have to forgive. Forgive others, forgive others. Just say, Mother, I forgive everyone without thinking about 
them or thinking about what they have done to you, just say, in general, Mother, I forgive everyone. How many times is not the point from your heart? You must say it properly. Yesterday so many didn't say and I have to work very hard on them. So please say it. Please say it from your heart. Once for all, Mother, I forgive everyone. <coughs> now, take back your hand on the back side of your head, on the optic lobe, and now raise it higher and let it rest. <coughs> on your hand. Here you have to say, for your own satisfaction, not feeling guilty, not counting your mistakes. O oh, Divine Power, if I have done any mistakes, please forgive me. Say it from your heart. <coughs> now, stretch your palm. keeping your left hand towards me. This is the most important center, both the feet apart from each other. Keep yourself straight and put your right hand, the center of your palm, on top of the fontanel bone area, the soft bone which you had in your childhood, and press it. <coughs> now bend your head as much as you can, Press back your fingers, press back your thumb. So there's a pressure on your scalp, nicely pressurized. Now move it, move it slowly seven times. Here again, <coughs> I cannot, I'm sorry, I cannot disrespect your freedom and free will. You have to ask for your self-realization, it cannot be forced on you. So seven times, please say, seven times. Mother, please give me my self-realization. Please say it seven times. Now, please, 
Take down your both the hands and open your eyes slowly, very slowly. <coughs> Now watch me without thinking. You can do it. Now put up your right hand like this and bend your head and see for yourself if there's a cool breeze coming out of your head. Bend your head. It is above your head, not on. So little away from the head. You try to feel if there's a cool breeze coming out of your head. You can take your hand little further. Some people have it quite away from the head. So see for yourself there's a cool breeze coming in. Now put the left hand towards me <coughs> and put down your head. Now see for yourself again with the right hand. If there's a cool breeze coming out of your head, some people will get heat coming out, doesn't matter. It will later on be followed by cool breeze also.
You're listening, you're listening to the Sahaja Yoga Meditation Program. So we were just listening to um, Satchitananda Rupa perform live in the studio today. And also Rodolphe was playing the tenor recorder, a uh, medieval piece. And as Shumadaji mentioned, once you get your self-realization, you can feel vibration. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, as I mentioned before, but most of people can actually these days. It's really working really easily. So I would like to invite you to, to just try. If you can put both of your hands on your lap with the palm facing upward and put your attention on the palm of your hands to start with, just to see if you can feel a gentle cool breeze. I remember when Lina uh, encountered her experience, she was saying to me that she put a shawl on her hands thinking that they were air conditioning blowing on her hands. So it can be quite a, a strong feeling for some people. So I'll just give you a little bit of time to feel it. And the vibration can be felt on the top of your head as well. So put your hand in front of your sacrum bone at the base of your spine. And create a little scoop with your hand. And just raise your hand following your spine slowly to the top of your head. When you get to the top, just give a gentle pressure there and rotate in a circular motion. And then keep on your journey above your head, maybe 10 centimeters above your head. And see if you can feel a gentle cool breeze coming from your fontanelle the soft bone in your childhood. Sometimes when we first get our self-realization, this breeze might be warm because as the Kundalini rises, she encounters some obstacle in our chakras and she's pushing them away, which can create some warm. But it will become cool ultimately the more you meditate. You can put your hand back on your lap and try with your other hand. You can, like Shumataji said, you can move your hand a little bit around or get it a bit closer to your head or a bit further from your head. Different people have a different experience. And you can put your left hand back on your lap. And just stay inside for a couple of minutes. If you felt the Kundalini, just put your attention there on the top of your head or above your head. 
If you haven't felt anything, just keep your attention inside. Doesn't matter. Meditation is completely effortless. But still, you have to remain alert. You have to remain aware of your thoughts. If a thought is coming, just watch it. Don't react and let it go.
I think Asmira wants to read a poem now. Sorry, Asmira, you go straight from the violin. It's okay. <laughs> so that, that was the Guru Ashtakam performed live in the studio. And sorry if we are not perfect. <laughs> we haven't practiced much, actually. But um, I sure, I'm sure you can have appreciate the vibration of that piece. So, like Adi Shankaracharya, the great saint and poet who wrote that, that we, the song that we just sang, another great poet was Kabir, who was a very enlightened soul. And he wrote um, this, well, I'll say the English translation, this poem, Illusion and Reality. What is seen is not the truth. What is cannot be said. Trust comes not with seeing, not without seeing nor understanding without words. The wise comprehends with knowledge. To the ignorant it is but a wonder. Some worship the formless God. Some worship his various forms. In what way he is beyond these attributes only the knower knows. That music cannot be written. How can then be the notes? Says Kabir, awareness alone will overcome illusion. So Asmira, why did you choose that poem? I chose it because it's um, this sort of age-old sort of discussion of is this um, is this world that we see around us, including our own body, is this the ultimate truth? Um, and maybe we could say it's <clears throat> it's an extension of what's inside us. But the ultimate truth is that we are eternal, um, eternal awareness inside us and everything else is an illusion. So this sort of gradual growing into this awareness of what we are, the essence of who we are, um, is sometimes at odds with what we see around us, this illusion of the world and these, this sort of illusion of um, you know, our sort of worldly goals and um, really, you know, <laughs> I guess quantum science talks about now, you know, is it a wave pattern or is it a particle? Well, it's both and we're both, but we need to grow our awareness of what we are inside. Wow. I don't know what to say after that. Um, Lina, what's the Guru Ashtakam about? Why did we sing that song and why is it following this poem as well? Yes, well, first of all, going back to my little story at the beginning, uh, this Guru Ashtakam that we just sang has a, has a very special uh, meaning for me because um, what I didn't say in my story was that there was a bit of a love story going on between my uni friend and myself. Um, and he was, uh, and you know, he loved his meditation but wasn't sure whether, you know, he should bring me into it, which he then did. Um, but the reason he decided to do that was he was he was in a quandary and he was reading the words of this poem which said, you know, um, what are all these worldly things for if we're not surrendered to, you know, to the universe, surrendered to our guru, to the teachings, to the knowledge, um, surrendered to that, um, that seeking beyond the illusion? So he decided, you know, I'm going to put my, my spiritual growth first, he decided. And once he surrendered to that, 
everything worked out. I came along and 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 you, you know. married. And <laughs> you ended up married. So, so yeah, that, that's yeah. why it's a very important um, important poem and beautiful beautiful piece of poetry by um, Adi Shankaracharya. Uh, but the guru is something. I mean, the word guru has so many connotations nowadays in in our society. Um, and if we think about the origins of the word and the whole guru disciple. Uh, system of learning that happens in India this is how music is taught for example Um, you have the guru the teacher that hands this gift his knowledge I mean or her knowledge is is a beautiful gift and it is a treasure it is something we need to value and so the guru passes this on to the disciple in a relationship of mutual respect. So I did go to India and study music um, from a variety of teachers. Uh, one of them asked me to say this poem at the start of our session where we basically outlined our respect for each other. It, it has to be both ways. It's not just the disciple that has to uh, clean the toilets of the gurus for three years to earn a, le- a music lesson, which used to be the case. Thankfully, it's not like that. And that is an extreme example, of course. But in the, in the olden days, it was like you had to earn the, the respect of your guru through great penance before you could learn something. Um, but it's very important also to have that mutual respect. And working as a, as a music therapist, I know how important it is to have respect for my clients. And as soon as I show respect for the people I work with, they show respect for me. And then all the development and growth and learning grows. So that relationship is a very special, sacred one. And, you know, the student will eventually also become a teacher one day and will then understand that process. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something we we don't maybe value enough no. uh, nowadays. Oh, definitely. So, Especially yeah. these days where you, you yeah. see yes, a lot of uh, difficulties with teaching in, in our society yes. and lack of respect for teachers. Yes, and teachers are finding it very hard, yeah. I think, at the it's, moment. It's a real bond, uh, the teaching and the teacher, mm-hmm. the, the person that receives the teaching and, and the teacher. And you asked Mira, you also went to India to learn. I did. Classical. I was very lucky to study with um, a man called Prabhakar Dakre, who's um, known fondly by his students as Guruji, and he recently passed away. And um, he was also a meditation practitioner and um I was very, very lucky to go um, after I finished my schooling um, at a very young age uh, for a few months um, and um, I was 18 at the time and ev- there's even a ceremony that happens like an initiation ceremony when you become somebody's student, even just for a musical instrument. Um, so yeah, it was a very special time and um, it really sort of grew in me an understanding of just how spiritual music can be and um, profound Um, it goes beyond all words and beyond all other sort of illusions Um, and I just I'd written down a few things just a few thoughts about the idea of guru Um, essentially a teacher or master but through centuries of traditional yoga and meditation practice guru elevates the idea of teacher and master and mentor into something far more spiritual and sacred. Um, a guru used to be regarded with the highest respect in Indian society because even a king has a guru he bows to, and it is a guru who at a most basic level teaches us how to discern truth from untruth, helps us navigate and cross the ocean of life with courage, ethics and confidence, teaches us how to weather the storms, help others who are struggling also 
turn us into the best version of ourselves and achieve heights we could never begin to imagine for ourselves it's really true when we go to a teacher of any kind we have no idea that a year later we will be playing you know 10 different pieces or songs or whatever it is that we're learning and 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 it's true for personal development as well we can't even imagine what we what treasures are in within our own being that can be unfolded and blossomed with the right teaching and um and and brought to fruition so you know but but you know and i i we can't even imagine these things and i don't mean the in the worldly sense like some external accolades but in the awakening growth and blossoming blossoming of our inner being where a disciple or student fully realizes the essence of their being and an exceptional guru will not only embody all these qualities within themselves and teach those disciples these things but also teach them how to teach others to become their own guru to fully realize their own special uniqueness within and for me Shramadji was that exceptional guru that's what i was just going to ask <laughs> who is the guru for sahaja yoga who is mm. our guru mm. so why why do we say shramadji is our guru because she's taught us all these things and she's taught us to be our own gurus so you know where a person who is on the path of their awakening of their being you know never dominates someone else or is not able to be dominated but stands on their own peace and glory and they help others achieve that and she's the divine to be one part and parcel of everything do you want to add anything anyone about uh, why she manages our guru i was look, just looking at helen <laughs> I know she's got something to say. No, only just from from my experience, she gave us that complete freedom to be our own guru, um, kind of led by example, led through humor, led through anecdotal stories, but but always gave us that freedom and that space to really let us learn who we were and what was good for good for us. Because if you're your own guru. Um, then you have to follow your own path. And that might be slightly different to everybody else's. We all have a kundalini, we all have a subtle system. But because of our life experiences and the things that we need to learn, we have to actually follow what is the best thing for us. And, and I really feel she encouraged and tried to give that confidence um, for us to be able to have that 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 strength of character in ourselves to be able to do what was what was right for us and it wasn't just um blanket one one one, one rule fits, fits everyone yeah. yeah one size fits all um you know she, each and every single person that she came into contact with that she gave this experience to she it, you know she tailor made it she she understood their everyone's idiosyncrasies, everyone's differences, and their experience of realization and their connection to the divine was their own special connection. And and that got nurtured through that aspect of, of the guru. Mm. That's my experience and feeling. I'd love to jump in and just say modern gurus, you could say, are not really gurus if they're charging money. So that has nothing, nothing to do with money. Nothing <laughs> to do with money. It's completely an inner growth 
you know, money is a tool for, you know, hiring a hall or whatever it is that needs to be done to achieve that end. But there's no, yeah, no money, no sort of (laughs) slimy (laughs) advertising or, I don't know, all that stuff that we see all over the internet choking up the airways. Yeah, It's got nothing to do with it. Puts us at a bit of a disadvantage in a way. Um, sometimes things that are free aren't valued in our society, mm. even though they they are beyond mon- beyond monetary value. And something like this, how can you charge money for something that we a we all already have? We all have a kundalini. We all have a subtle system. We all have that potential. So to charge money for something that we already have, when it's just a case of making the connection, switching on the light, getting it going. Yeah, that really has nothing to do with mm-hmm. with money or our material world that we, we live in. Mm-hmm. It goes back to your idea of that, what is an illusion and what is reality. Shumaita mm-hmm. gave us our self-realization. I think that summarizes it all. And self-realization is the beginning of everything. And not only we can receive it, but we can give it. As soon as you receive it, you can give it to others. So... um Let's spread it all around the world. <laughs> so now I'm going to play a talk from Shimadaji. Um, it's a birthday talk where Shimadaji, we were celebrating Shimadaji's birthday in 1980 in London. Deep significance. Because on such occasions, special vibrations flow in the atmosphere. When all the celestial bodies, the eternal personalities, gods and goddesses sing the praise, And that's how the whole atmosphere is filled with mirth and happiness. Human beings also express their gratitude. Expression of gratitude and love is done in different, different ways in different countries. But the substance remains the same and the forms change. The substance is like the ocean which flows continuously towards the shores and the ripples which touch the shores are again repelled back and a nice pattern is formed. It is such a spontaneous thing and is so beautiful create such a beautiful pattern in the atmosphere. All these waves, when they weave together the pattern of love, they soothe human beings, 
they enchant human beings and the whole thing is very blissful. On such occasions a special type of feelings develop which we cannot express in words. So the expression could be in any form. But the main thing is the expression. God has expressed Himself by creation, by creating this creation. While the creation has to express its gratitude by glorifying Him. And this play must go on eternally. It's the most beautiful play. Those who indulge into this play lead an eternal life. <coughs> that life is unending, never breaks, and binds the whole universe with its beautiful music. Today especially I have to speak to people who feel weak to follow Sahaja Yoga, who are fickle-minded, those who lack strength, those who are afraid of taking Sahaja Yoga seriously. It is very important that fickle-mindedness must be seen clearly, why we are fickle. Mostly it might be the ego that is stopping you from doing something that is very, very important. The fickle-mindedness comes to us by various ways. As I said, one of them is ego. A fickle-minded person can be frightened by his own ego and he may stop doing Sahaja Yoga after going up to a point because the ego might say, now, here forward if you go, there is a tunnel in which you cannot enter. You should not go any further. It's very dangerous. It could be marred by your sloth. Sloth is the curse of this country, I feel. It's the curse of the Sahaja Yoga also. I do not know if it is the curse of the Western world. But sloth is something, is like a devil that can keep you very much glued to your own positions and will not allow you to move on. For example, in the morning you get up and you think that, oh, it's all right, what's the need to get up early in the morning? There is no need to do any meditation. I'll do it tomorrow. Otherwise you start thinking that it can be done after a month, doesn't matter. Mataji is here, everything will be all right. But you must know there are so many imperfections within you. 
And if you do not meditate now seriously, take it up as a very serious thing, you may lag behind so much that you may be dropped out. Meditation is very important after surgery. You have slept and slept all your life. Sleeping is not so important. You have to today promise Me that from tomorrow you all are going to get up in the morning and meditate. I was suggesting that if you take your baths in the morning it would be better so that you won't have your sleeping condition. Sloth is such a devious thing that you do not see it. It explains everything. If you say, I'm sick, it will say, oh, you are so sick, you should go to the hospital. If you say, I'm tired, it will say, you are extremely tired. Why should you be so tired? It is nothing but your sloth is telling you that you are extremely tired, you better not do meditation now, you are extremely tired, you better take some rest, it's important. Sloth is worse than superego and ego. It is a kind of an inertia which pulls you down. And that inertia you have to really throw away and get out of it. Because it explains everything, you like it, because it gives you little comfort, and you want to rely on your sloth. But Krishna has said in Gita that sloth is the worst thing that can happen to human beings. If they take to sloth, if they accept sloth, they will have all explanations for being slothful. He alasya, he calls it, is the worst disease, according to him, for any aspirant of spiritual life. You may think that, you see, I'm not well now, or anything. Sloth can give you any ideas, because I don't have that, so I don't know what ideas it gives you. But it can give you any kind of idea that would be very, very appealing to you, because it knows how to please your ego. Sloth is a ego-satisfying thing, ego-pampering stuff, and it makes you feel, oh, you are very tired. What are you tired about? You are all young people, why should you be tired? You get tired so soon, is nothing but your Mr. Sloth telling you, you are tired. You'll be surprised after feeling tired, you run for two miles, you can run. Now why sloth works Sahaja Yoga so adversely? Why sloth works out against Sahaja Yoga so much? The reason is because we are not yet identified with our well-being. We do not think that we have to be better, we have to improve, we have to go further, there's a big gap, we have to do it. We are not identified with our progress. Supposing if I tell you in England that if you run two miles every day in the morning, you will get a beauty prize. Ninety-nine point nine percent people or women of this country would be running early in the morning. Supposing if somebody tells men that you will get Mr. Universe if you run every day five miles in the morning, there will be, I don't know, 99.999 percent people may be running that. Because we are identified with that kind of a competition, which is very materialistic, 
which is of no value. But when you give up even that competition, you fall into another competition, is everybody is competing each other in sloth. They will get up in the morning, see around. Now, Kuli is still sleeping, all right, let me sleep. So Kuli will think he's still sleeping, let me sleep. So there is a big <laughs> competition or as to who is going to wake up first, who is going to do this. And if somebody gets up, then one starts finding faults that he got up or what? He was just taking tea or he was talking. What about you? You were still in bed, at least he got up, was talking, doesn't matter. But he was kicking. What about you who was still slumbering in the bed? Now, it's such a childlike thing, I mean, it's such a childish thing to talk about with such intellectuals as you are, such well-read and such well-posted people. That doesn't behoove me, a mother of such great people, to talk like this. But sometimes I find my Sahajogis are like two-year-old children. And then I have to tell them that now you are grown up. You see, you can explain it. But how are you going to explain yourself? Because if you have to grow, if you want your tree to grow, you must change your priorities and your identifications. If you have to be a first-class Sahajogi, you have to put your attention to it. I do not know how to fix it up. Supposing we fix it up like this, it's very childish, but I have to tell you, because I've seen this is the problem, that the day I don't get up, I'll have to pay 10p. Let's keep it like that. If you are getting much more pay, then put it at 10 pounds. But something like that. Or you can say that, that day I'll give up one sweater of mine. Start it like that. It's very easy. People will say, that, no, Mother, when I meditate, you know, something goes wrong with me. Means you are wrong, there's something wrong with you, so better sit down and meditate. Now, I must say, if you do not meditate, you are very selfish. That's the main point. Because when you come be here, scorpions come out of me to bite my feet. There are snakes coming out of you to bite my feet. Do you want to do that to me? Or else to others also. The other day somebody came to my house and Chaya and all these people were there. He was so caught up that they were reeling with giddiness and everybody was trying to take it out and work it out. If you want Sahaja Yoga to work out in this country and in the West, we have to understand our own value. And we must work it out every time if you are catching. Every time you meet me, you are catching. Then how are you going to feel the Kundalini? You must know how the Kundalini moves within yourself. Say where it is, how far it has gone. At least, there should be at least ten people like that, minimum. Because I have worked here so hard, you don't know, I didn't work so many years in India. 
and there will be at least 80% people who can feel the Kundalini moving. It is here, it is there, it is there. And some people feel over-satisfied with their progress also. It is like a whole group of people going somewhere, say a tug-of-war. Even one person moves two steps forward than where he is, the whole thing moves. But we do not see to, to the people who are moving it towards them. What we always see is, how can we compete with the person who is not moving? If he is moving back two steps, we can move up back three steps. This kind of attitude will not help us. You know that Sahaja Yoga is the only way, is the only method that Divine Grace has given you, by which you are going to transform the whole world. And lazy lumps, how can they help Sahaja Laziness is the worst thing. Today, I know today is not a day to say all these things, but you all have to promise to me that you are going to give up your laziness, swaha. I would that you would wake, dear one, to a cooling breeze divine. I would that you would drink, sweetheart, eternal nectar wine. I would that you would know God's child, your own That essence that I am seeing I would that you would flow as one A river to the sea I would that you would merge in God Eternal ecstasy There was a song from Lina with a lyric and poem from uh, Pavan Ketli, a dear friend, Yogi from Walangong. And unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye. We had so much more planned, but <laughs> we have to do a stupid back because we had just a two-hour program. So um, thank you so much, everyone, for coming. It was just uh, such a special moment for all of us. And uh, if you want to learn more about this special event the, of the 100 years of Shimataji, you can go to freemeditation.com.au slash 100 years. It's freemeditation.com.au slash 100 years. So there's lots of information on that landing page. And um, I really recommend that you go there. So freemeditation.com.au slash 100 years. Or if you, can, if you want to learn more about Sahaja Yoga Meditation, you can go to the main website, which is freemeditation.com.au, freemeditation.com.au. So on this website, you can find lots of tools and techniques to help you deepen your meditation and a list of free programs at different venues around Australia, around the world or online. You can also listen to podcasts and watch webcasts and you can join meditations 
and you can learn a lot about your own subtle system. So if you want also to uh, send us a feedback about today or any time, so if you have questions or comments, you can email us at radio at freemeditation.com.au. So bye everyone and thank you so much for your amazing contribution today. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And I'm going to leave you with a sloka from uh, Lina N. Asmira, a beautiful sloka called uh, Salva Mangala Mangalie in salutation and invocation to the goddess Narayani. So this is from the Devi Mahatmaim. Sarvama